start by just saying there are um, two types of people in this room. There are those who stand in the middle of the storm as it passes over in the front yard. <laughs> and then there are those who are hunkered down in the corner of the basement in the fetal position until the storm passes over, right? There are those who stand in the middle of the yard going, this is awesome. You got to come see this. And then there's those in the basement going, you're dumb, we're all going to die. <laughs> I guess there could be a third category of people. There are some who, who wake up in the morning and ask, why is the dining room table in the front yard? Right? Did it storm last night? Hmm, Mr. Slipped right through it, didn't hear a thing. You know, there are those kind of people. Uh, so we're either storm chasers, storm escapers, or maybe we're just oblivious altogether to what's going on around us. But when it comes to life storms, we all find ourselves in the same category. Isn't it true that when it comes to life storms, whether it's relational storms or financial storms or cancer storms or job downsizing storms, we all want to be storm escapers because nobody stands in the middle of a marriage crisis going this is awesome you got to come try this <laughs> no nobody stands over an empty bank account with the bills piling up trying to convince others they need to come try this none of us desire to see our friends and our family experience health issues or job losses in fact we will do almost anything we can to escape those experiences. We certainly don't chase after these kind of storms, and we can't really be oblivious to them because these are the kind of storms that chase us down, don't they? Life storms just seem to find us, and they, they weigh heavy on us, and these are the storms that keep us up at night. These are the storms that wake us up early in the morning with worry. And here's the question, and it's important that we answer this question this morning. What is your storm right now? What is your storm in your life right now? It's essential that we identify that someone or that something that paralyzes us in fear or discouragement or defeat or maybe has us enraged. It's essential that we identify these storms primarily for two reasons. Number one, because if we are going to be a Jesus-pursuing church and strive to live as Jesus lived, then we are going to have to learn how to live like Jesus lived even during storms. So... We don't get a day off, we don't get a season off, we don't get a disease off, we don't get a relationship off. A Jesus-pursuing church runs after him every day and every day in every way, rain or shine. So it's essential that we identify our life storm this morning so we can see them through the lens of Jesus and the life he lived as an example for us to follow. And number two, so that Jesus can offer us a brand new category. Because Jesus is not calling us to chase storms or escape them. And he certainly hasn't empowered us so we can be oblivious to them. So here's the question. Jeff's going to put it on the screen. 
What is Jesus asking us to do with our lives when life offers us storms? Let's find out. Matthew chapter 8. Start reading. We left off in verse 22 last week. Let's pick up in verse 23. Then. Now, (laughs) there's a lot to unpack with that word, then, because there's a lot that has happened leading up to then. Uh, More specifically, eight chapters has happened, right? Now, we won't review all eight chapters. But in chapter eight specifically, Jesus comes down off the mountain and he immediately heals a leper and then he heals a centurion servant and then he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And by verse 16, Jesus is healing everybody. The sick, the demon-possessed, there's a miracle for you, there's a miracle for you. He's just, he's just giving out miracles. Everybody's being healed. That's what the scriptures Tell us. And it tells us that this is happening to fulfill a prophecy that Isaiah gave hundreds of years before Jesus would ever walk the earth. As you can imagine, words getting out, Jesus is gaining popularity, the crowds are growing larger and larger. They've never heard anyone say the things that Jesus is saying. They've never seen anyone do the things that Jesus is doing. So, of course, the crowd is growing larger and the crowd is growing louder as each of, each of them are telling and celebrating their stories of what they have heard and what they have seen and what they have experienced through the healing power of this one named Jesus. And it's in all of that chaos as the crowd is pressing in that Jesus shouts out to his disciples, fetch the boat. <laughs> we have to keep going. And so the disciples fetch the boat, and in verse 23, then Jesus gets on the boat, and he starts across the lake with his disciples. Verse 24, suddenly, question, how sudden is suddenly? Because Jesus and the boys, they push off, and across the Sea of Galilee they go, and 24, suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. And it sounds like Matthew is describing our own storms, doesn't it? Because life storms show up suddenly. They don't announce that they are coming. They don't give us time to prepare or make plans. One moment you are sailing to your next destination. Life is good because Jesus is in the boat with you. And everybody knows that God is good all the time. And all the time God is but suddenly you find yourself smack dab in the middle of a storm. And not just any storm. This is a fierce storm. And I would argue the fiercest of fierce storms based on what the next few verses tell us. Because these disciples, these men, they were expert fishermen. They had spent their lives from childhood on the Sea of Galilee. Storms on the sea, storms on the water was nothing new to the disciples. Sudden storms were nothing new, but something about this storm had them convinced that they were going to die. Fiercest of the fierce. Question, what do you do when life hits you with a storm that is so fierce that you lose hope that life will ever be the same again or that there will will even be life left at the end? Because I'm convinced there's probably people in this room right now who are scared to death that their marriage is dying. That their aging parents are dying. 
that the relationship to a son or daughter is diminishing. And there's family waves, and there's relational waves, and there's work-related waves, and there's financial waves, and we're entering a season of political waves, and they're crashing against us, and we are certain that we are nearing the end. Storms are sudden, and they can be ruthlessly fierce. And where is Jesus during the sudden and fierce storm? The end of verse 24. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples are afraid. And no doubt the disciples are fighting for their very lives. And Jesus is sound asleep in the boat. Now, at first glance, this might seem super insensitive of Jesus. If Jesus loves his disciples, why would he allow them to suffer? If Jesus loves his disciples, why would he allow them to be in such fear of what's going on? On the surface, it seems senseless, but I assure you that Jesus sleeping here in this passage is really good news for us and really good news for our storms that we experience. So stay with me. But the more practical side of me wonders if Jesus was really sleeping. Or was Jesus doing one of these, oh, I hear the baby crying, but I'm going to pretend I'm asleep so I don't have to get up and watch the baby. Not that us men know anything about that, okay? I only say that because if this storm is as bad as the text seems to suggest, how could anybody sleep through that? Either way, verse 25, the disciples come to Jesus and they wake him up screaming, it's, it's, it gives you the urgency of the moment. They are shouting. They are screaming, wake up! Do something! Don't you, we're going to die. Don't you care? In other words, Lord, what are you doing? Wake up, do something. We're dying. Have you ever been so desperate that you have prayed that prayer? God, what are you doing? God, where are you? Don't you care that I'm struggling? Don't you care that I'm suffering? Can't you see that I'm dying, God? Do something. Save me. Save us. Maybe you've prayed that prayer and it just seems like Jesus is distant, almost like he's sleeping. He doesn't seem to be doing anything. They wake him up. And now that Jesus is awake, he responds. Verse 26, first four words. Why are you afraid? I assure you that Jesus is not absent here. He is very aware of what's going on. In fact, I would say Jesus is more aware of what's going on than the disciples are aware of what's going on. The question Jesus asks is rhetorical because he already knows what they are afraid of. You see that a lot throughout the scriptures, by the way. Adam and Eve sin, and they hear God coming, and they run and hide, and God comes through the garden. Where are you? It's not like Adam and Eve found the perfect hiding spot, and God couldn't. He knew. Well, we're, we're hiding. Well, who? What happened? <laughs> he already knew. Look, Martha and Mary and Jesus, right? Lazarus had died, and they're weeping, and they're, God, Jesus, if you would have been here. Well, where is he? He already knew. A blind man comes to Jesus. Lord, help me. What do you want from me? 
Jesus, he loves to ask these questions because these questions reveal our hearts. What are you afraid of? And then he says this. You have so little faith. Let's not miss what Jesus is doing here because this moment could be life-changing for us. Jesus is connecting our fear not to the bigness of the storm, but to the smallness of our faith. It's massive. The disciples were probably thinking, okay, could you please do something about this storm and then lecture us about our faith? Right? Because we're dying. Did you forget that? We're dying. Lecture later, save us now. Because right now, we don't have a faith problem. We have a storm problem. And that's probably what some of us might be going through. We don't think we have a faith problem. We think we have a marriage problem or a kid problem, or a health problem, or a money problem, or a job problem. So Jesus presses in. Why are you afraid? And we, Jesus, we just told you. We just told you why we're afraid. My wife is leaving. My mortgage is due. My cancer is back. My boss is incompetent. My life is falling apart. Jesus, wake up. Are you going to do anything? And Jesus chooses to rebuke the restlessness you have so little faith. At the end of verse 26, it says, Then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. And that's what we're after. That's all we want, right? We want the storm to leave as suddenly as it appeared, and we desire calmness. We want peace. We want Jesus to rebuke the storm and give us peace. And that's what he did here. Jesus calmed the storm. But hear this. Ultimately, Jesus wants to calm the hearts of his disciples in spite of the storm because there would be other storms. This is so crucial. Sure enough, we, we watch the disciples grow in their faith and they go on to face many other fears while trusting more in Jesus. But it was a roller coaster of a ride, man. Just look at the life of Peter. He gives us so much hope in our stubbornness. If he, there, there comes this moment Peter would say, Jesus, I will die for you. And then we find, Jesus, or we find Peter denying Jesus just to save his own life. There's this other moment where Jesus gets up from the table. Remember, he puts the servant's towel around him and begins washing all the disciples' feet. He comes to Peter and goes, you're not washing my feet. And then a moment later, don't stop at my feet. Let's get my whole body, Jesus. Wash me all. He's all over the place, man. Here in our text... We find him freaking out. He's afraid that the storm is going to kill him. But then in Acts, we find him arrested by King Herod. He's imprisoned. He's surrounded. The text says he is surrounded by 16 soldiers. Peter was the price catch. He was not getting away. King Herod arrested him. He put 16 soldiers surrounding him. And he is on the eve of his trial and certain execution. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 12, verse the night before Peter was to be placed on trial. Now, where do you think he learned that? What's different? 
from Acts 12 to Matthew 8. The difference was Peter over and over had watched Jesus have authority over the weather, over disease, over sin, over death, over the grave. And now Peter, empowered by the same spirit as Jesus, could rest in the same peace as Jesus. Not because the storms had ceased, but because his faith, his confidence in Jesus had grown. Jesus rebukes our lack of faith and pushes us towards greater faithfulness because his ultimate goal here on earth is not to give us peace from the storm because storms are inevitable. Jesus' greatest desire is to give us peace for the storms. Jesus is inviting us to refocus our eyes from the storm before us to the God within us. Not so that we can chase after storms or escape them or ignore them, but so that we can find rest during them. Verse 27, it says the disciples were amazed. Who is this man? That even the, wave, the winds and the waves obey him. Jesus rebuked the disciples for their lack of faith and confidence in who he was. Their lack of faith and understanding of who, who Jesus was is even evident here with their amazement and the questioning of, who is this man? And if they could have just realized the fullness of who Jesus was in the midst of that storm, if they could have just understood who it really was that was in the boat with them, the story would have been much different. And the same is true for us. If we could just stay focused on who Jesus is and what he has done for us, there would be a lot less freaking out in life and there would be a lot more napping. Hmm. Here, here's the big idea of this sermon. Our fears are not rooted in storms. Our fears are not rooted, there's a slide for this. Our fears are not rooted in storms. Our fears are rooted in our lack of faith in the Lord's sovereignty. We talked about that, men, Wednesday night. Sitting around the table, realizing our lack of belief in God's ability and control and power over all things is what drives us to many of our emotional outbursts. Our faith or confidence in who God is and what he has done, is doing, and promises to do helps shape or determine the direction and health of every fiber of our being. Meaning this, if your attitude is out of whack, check your faith. If your actions are producing fruits of the flesh rather than fruits of the spirit, check your faith. If your emotions are all over the place, check your faith. Because the fruits of our behavior come from the roots 
of our beliefs about the works and the very person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two lessons I learn about Jesus and about us from this story in Matthew 8. Number one, Jesus is not afraid of storms. He's sleeping in the midst of the sudden, fierce storm. And perhaps the reason why he's not afraid is because of truth number two. Jesus has control over storms. Think about this. Jesus has authority. No storm happens in our lives that Jesus hasn't given permission. He gives authority to all things. Nothing happens. It's not that he originates. It's not that he causes it. We live in a broken world. Storms are because of sin. But even in the midst of that, the truth is Jesus has authority to speak over every. So why would he fear? He rests. Here's the two truths about us. Number one, we are prone to fear storms. They freak us out. We worry. We take medication. We cause division in our families. All because of the second truth is we don't have any control over storms. And so here's my conclusion. We're not Jesus. If you came here today thinking you were, you're, you came to the right sermon. You are not Jesus. He doesn't fear, we do. He is in control, we're not. We're not Jesus. I started the sermon by asking, what does Jesus want us to do with our lives when life presents us storms? And the answer is, he just wants us to trust him. He wants us to put our full confidence in him. He wants us to be still and know him. He wants us to take every restless thought and fear and burden and need and request and lay it at his feet, believing that he has authority over it that he is in control over it. And he wants us to fully rest in him, believing that in his love, he wants what is best for us. And in his wisdom, he knows what is best for us. And in his power, he will do what's best for us. For even the winds and the waves obey him. I am the last person that should be standing on this stage preaching, just trust God with your storms. Because I freak out with the best of them when it comes to storms. Family, ministry, finances, life, I always have a freak out moment on deck ready to go ready to come in the game at any moment. And I agree with this teaching theoretically, but practically, practically, I do not trust or rest well in the midst of storms. And full confession here, it is most definitely a lack of confidence in the sovereignty of God and the finished work of Jesus on my behalf. Every time. Every single time. 
I forget. I forget who indwells me. The one who holds the world in his hands. The one by which everything on earth bows in submission. The one from whom all blessings flow lives within me. He's already conquered death and hell on my behalf, on our behalf, church. What do we have to fear? What do we have to be afraid of? We should be able to stand in the midst of the storm as Paul and say, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? And he is for us. God is for us. He lived a perfect life on our behalf because he knew we never would. And Jesus died a horrible death on the cross for our sin because he, never, he knew we never could. And he arose victorious over the greatest storm of all, sin and death, so that we could have peace in every circumstance, even here on earth in a storm. He is for us. And he is with us. So who or what can stand against us? I want us to end the sermon portion of our time together by us just being still for a few moments. Just you and the Holy Spirit and your soul quiet before him. And here's what we need to do. We need to identify our mountains. We need to identify our storms, our burdens. And then here's what I want us to do. In the quietness of the moment, we're going to ask the Spirit to reveal the things that paralyzes us in fear or anger or whatever it is. And not only are we going to identify those things, we are going to then imagine us physically laying them at the feet of Jesus here this morning because he is for you and he is inviting you to lay your burdens and your fears at his feet. And you can do so fully confident that God is bigger, that God is better, that God is stronger, and God is greater than your storm. Let's pray. Spirit of living God, would you help us find rest in you this morning? We are prone to restlessness. We are prone to worry. We are prone to put up walls. God, in the midst of storms, we are prone to freak out because we lose sight of you in the storms. We get distracted from you by the storms. So, Spirit of God, would you take a moment here Would you put at the forefront of our minds the mountains, the storms, the burdens? And would you give us the strength and the ability to lay them down in this moment and declare the greatness of God over them?
I'm just going to be still. Spirit, do what you want to do. In Jesus' name. and broken for my reason. 